0: Let's pray. Father, as sinners all, may we who have fled for refuge, salvation, forgiveness, justification, the hope of eternal life in your Son, For those who haven't, may we leave here yearning to cling to the old rugged cross that buys sinners, that pays the debt, that secures eternal life no matter what our sins and brokenness so to that end help me this morning father communicate the love of the gospel that goes out to all and beckons come and drink in the name of Jesus This is the third and the final week on the issue of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. In order for us to understand and to feel compassion for other persons who are same-sex attracted, and are lonely and they want to love and feel loved in an intimate relationship, I consider our text from last week, Romans 1 and the sermon of last week on Romans 1 to be crucial for being able to feel and to love whether they're family members, Friends, fellow church members, the gay couple living down the street, to be able to befriend and love and enjoy those made in God's image and want to reach for Jesus and at the same time not condone same-sex activity or the culture now of same-sex marriage. And more than that, if you get Romans 1, then we who are Christians, we sinful, undeserving people who are being saved by grace, you will understand we have zero grounds to look down upon others who are warped in their desires differently than we are warped in our sinful desires. There is no grounds for boasting for anyone in their heterosexual inclinations over another person who has homosexual inclinations. So now the question is on this final week. What are we to do or what are we to make of persons who say to us, That's just the way I am. I was born gay. God created me this way. Now, without getting into the theology of that, here's the point. Those who say, because this is not all true, it's not true of all people with same sex attraction. There's so much complexity to homosexuality, okay? But there are those who. It, you can't, it's hard to pin it on anything in the environment in which they're raised. And since puberty, all they have known, and this is what they're saying, is sexuality like any other normal person, except that it's for the same sex. And that's their natural experience. And so they're saying, This is the way I am. What do we do? What do we say? Or, or, and let me just say, there's no evidence for this right now, but let's just suppose there were evidence of a genetic link to homosexual desires. Should that in any way change the Christian worldview on this subject? Would that in any way be a contradiction to anything the Bible has to say about homosexual activity. Would this imply that the church should change its doctrine on same-sex activity in so-called same-sex marriage? Since, well, there are those persons in the world for whom it is natural to only desire sexually the same sex. What about that? Should we change? Just suppose there really is a genetic link. The answer is absolutely not. Not if you understood Romans 1, 22 to 28 in last week's sermon. That Paul is clear that the ultimate origin of same-sex attraction is the sinfulness of the human, the one human race that has fallen in Adam and thus God's judgment of handing the human race over to all kinds of sinful, twisted, broken manifestations in our humanity and in our sexuality as a parable that says, here's sin, we exchange the only God, the only source of true beauty and happiness and holiness for the creation. And He says, live it out. And so yes, I say, all sinful desires feel Natural. I understand it Homosexual or heterosexual Or any other issue That's who I am I'm just a mean-spirited bully Or that's just who I am I'm only attracted To the same sex So picture 11 o'clock news Breaking news the genetic link to homosexual desires has been found. Let me tell you something, Christian. That should change your theology, your opinion on homosexual activity to say, oh, I guess it's okay then. I guess it's good. Well, as long as you're monogamous and have a marriage license or something, that you, should, you should change your mind as much as you should change your mind that cancer is good. We should promote it. We should coddle it. Because many people have a genetic predisposition to get cancer. See, what we have seen is that the fall of mankind has happened. And as a consequence, God's judgment has subjected men and women and the entire universe to sinful brokenness. And that's why there's murder in the world. That's why there's slander in the world. Birth defects, hatred, adulterers, and homosexuality. And God will judge those who unrepentantly practice such things. That's where we've been. Now... In connection with this, I want us to turn again to the book of Romans. This time, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 20 to 23. Romans 8, 20 to 23. In verse 20, Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Now, by creation, here, Paul means everything that is not God. He means everything created it has all been subjugated to brokenness futility by someone now what does that mean it means nothing works the way that it was created to work it's all Broken, messed up, gone haywire. It is futile. Weather patterns create tornadoes and hurricanes that kill people. Living cells malfunction and cancers eat away at bodies. Bacteria, bad ones, kill. Viruses, chemical imbalances in humans. Humans being betrayed by a close associate, adultery, divorces, deep emotional pain, all of it exists because it was acted upon, being subjected to this futility. Now, who did that? The answer is clear there in verse twenty. Read it. By him who subjected it, the creation, to futility, who subjected it in hope. That in hope is huge. In hope, that prepositional phrase modifies the verb, the action, subjected. It was subjected, but in hope. So in other words, Paul saying, The one who did this and subjected everything, did it with a hope, a future in view, a purpose, an end. A goal that will come later. And so, who is he referring to? That's not Adam. And that's not any human being in their sin. That is not why we sin. We did not subject everything to futility with the hope of this glorious end. No, we didn't. That's not Satan's purpose. Either in the garden. He's not about this hope. Therefore, the subject of the verb, the one doing, the subjecting to futility, is clearly God in His sovereign intention. He did it in hope. So, with the fall of the human race into sin, God subjected all creation to the effects of sin. And as we saw last week in Romans 1 where Paul was crystal clear, God therefore gave them... the human race up. Gave them over to the lust of their hearts in order to dishonor their bodies in homosexual activity, in prideful boastfulness, in faithlessness, in murder, in gossips, in being haters of God. Where in the world is the hope in that? the hope is that this god saves persons in the midst of And He uses this subjecting everything to futility that is of all creation and of sinfulness of humanity. He uses it in order to show how horrific the exchange of the glory of the only God is for everything else that's not God. And it is all preaching. That message to those who have ears. Sin has consequences and it is huge. But this short period of futility is only a drop in the bucket compared to the eternity that is to come compared to the final judgment day that will be ushering in eternal damnation for the unsaved as it will be ushering in the freedom of the glory of the children of God in the resurrection. And so, for every person who has been born again unto faith in Jesus, the brokenness of all things, including our sexual inclinations, they're all meant as now a constant call to rely not on ourselves, but on Him who raises the dead. That's how Paul said all this futility is being used in his life. And that right there, I'm a stickler for context, that is the main point of Romans 8 in this paragraph. The main point, go up, it's in verse 18. This is the main point that verse 20 is supporting for Christians. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For... Let me me explain what I mean here now. For the creation, now, right now, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the hope. That's the hope that he's talking about. God subjected it all in that hope that is still Future. So, so read, read on, read on, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, it didn't do it to itself, but because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and it will obtain the freedom of the glory of Of the children of God. There's the hope. And so Paul says, What about today? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I've been with my wife through six of these miserable labor pains of anguish and of screaming and groaning, which resulted in the hope for which she was subjected to that, the birth and the joy of the children being born so Paul paints the picture that all the malfunctions in the world all the crying and labor and groaning and misery and futility and sexual brokenness of all creation it will give birth one day to the second coming of Jesus when He raises the dead for all who are His to enter into that glorious promise of freedom forevermore do you see that in right. Okay. Now then, here's the big question. Okay. Over the last two weeks, we saw in Romans. Chapter 1, that because of our sin, the sin of the human race, that is our exchanging the glory of God for lies, for deceptions, for pride, for arrogance, therefore God acted and handed us over to His judgment in order to desire and to do those sinful things we ought not do, like adultery, slander, fornication, and homosexual activity. We see in chapter 8, He subjected all things to the futility of brokenness, sickness, disease, natural disasters, death, persecution, wars, and broken, sinful, sexual desires. Okay, but look, I've come to Jesus. All of us who have had our eyes opened to the Gospel... It's no longer closed. We did exchange the glory of God. And then God shone the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to our hearts. And we came alive. And I believe in Jesus. I am saved. I am justified. Wouldn't God now therefore today remove all the judgment of brokenness and futility on my life? Wouldn't He remove the inclination for flying off the handle in anger, in the pain, in the misery, in that disease in my body, in this sickness, in my same-sex attraction disorder? Wouldn't He? The answer is in the next verse, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we Christians, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grow. As we wait <laughs> eagerly for adoption the sons, the redemption of our bodies, the future, resurrection. And so, the biblical answer to the question is no. God the Father doesn't deliver His people in one fell swoop from all the futility of this fallen universe and our fallen human natures. But believer, what He does do is He turns that judgment of His, of futility, He turns all of that for believers into means of grace. Again, context is everything. That's what Paul says here. Just put your eyes down five verses later. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, context in this futility that is still waiting, all things work together for good. That is, for those who are called according to His purpose. God is saving us in stages. It's there. Read on next verse, read it. for before creation here, whom he foreknew. he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that his son might be the firstborn among many brothers and whom he predestined. Every one of them, during their lifetime, by the Holy Spirit, He called. And those whom He called, He also justified. Oh, okay, stop. Paul's been clear in Romans. He called them to saving faith. No one's justified without saving faith. Therefore, everyone who was called by God this way comes to Jesus with a heart of faith. They're justified. Okay, now, between justified and that last thing is where the rest of Roman eight fits. Because you're justified and you're still mortal and you still live in this broken world that has been subjected to brokenness and futility and it's waiting eagerly because this is sanctification now. Okay. And, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. No, He didn't. Okay, Because Paul, well, Paul didn't mean it that way. What Paul was saying, he said, here's the whole ball. Away. Let me step outside and look at all of salvation. And that glorification is the future resurrection of the body that Paul talked about a few verses earlier. That's it. That's a believer. Those are the stages and that's the main point of this whole passage for I consider therefore that the sufferings of this present time this life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us now as Christians down here, we groan as we wait for the freedom of the glory of the children of God in the resurrection. I'm going to read for to you for a couple minutes. From a book. By Wesley Hill, titled Washed and Waiting Reflections on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality. Wesley writes By the time I started high school, two things had become clear to me. One was that I was a Christian. My parents had raised me to be a believer in Jesus, and as I moved toward independence from my family, I knew that I wanted to remain one. That I wanted to trust, love, and obey Christ, who had been crucified and raised from the dead for us and for our salvation, as the creed puts it. The second thing I knew was this. I was attracted only to males. For as long as I could remember, I had been drawn, even as a child, to other males in some vaguely confusing way. And after puberty, I had come to realize that I had a steady, strong, unremitting, exclusive sexual attraction to persons of the same sex. Since that time of self-discovery, have struggled week in and week out to know how to live faithfully as a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction. But my story also differs from the one told by many others in the church, primarily evangelical believers. Unlike some, I have never experienced a dramatic Healing reversal of my homosexual desires. In other words, God's presence in my life has not meant that I have become heterosexual. Like Paul, I have prayed fervently, desperately, tearfully, on multiple occasions for God to take away this thorn in the flesh. I have listened to Christians who were formerly involved in gay and lesbian relationships testify to experiencing an extraordinary decisive change in their sexual attractions and a newfound ability to live in normal marriages, free to a large extent from homoerotic inclinations although I don't want to dispute that this is evidence of the love, grace, and power of God, and without wanting to diminish anyone's hope in God's ability to change homosexual desires in this way, I do want to say that this has not been my experience. Nor has it been the experience of many same-sex attracted Christians who are silently struggling to remain faithful as they worship and serve with us day after day in the fellowship of the church. End quote. We who have fled for refuge in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin. Right now. We have the Holy Spirit working within us right now against our flesh, sinful nature desires. That's what's going on. And we will, in the future, have freedom from all sinning later at the resurrection of the just. Now, in this world, we have some manifestations of physical healing. In the resurrection, it will be consummated, complete healing forever. Down here now, we have some healing of broken sexual desires. Then we will have complete sinlessness, temptationlessness, wholeness later. Now we are waiting for the resurrection for the glorification, for the consummation of our salvation that Jesus will bring back with Him. And so I say, for those persons who have continuing homosexual desires after conversion to Christ, it does not mean their conversion was false. Nor does it mean that Jesus has somehow failed them. Nor that they have failed the Lord by not having a strong enough faith. Down here we groan. And this is what you're to know for all of us, no matter who we are. There is a huge distinction between sinning and temptations. Same-sex attraction is not the same as same-sex sexual activity. It's not the same any more than a 16-year-old girl or a 16-year-old boy knows that they are heterosexual. How do they know that? Because of the experience of sexual desires for the opposite sex that means the experience of thoughts in their minds but that is nowhere close has anything to do with what Paul is forbidding when he says flee sexual immorality which means sexual contact with other human beings to whom you are not married. See, one is the ongoing battle of desires. Welcome to Christianity. The other is sinning that needs to be repented of. Being tempted is not the same. as taking those thoughts that fly into the head and then let me fantasize of them, over them, love them, coddle them. That just brought it to a different level. So, Christian people at the level of desire. They remain vigilant as the birds come and hit the head with sexual thoughts that are very natural and they shoo them away so that the birds don't build a nest in their hair of sexual thoughts and thus deeper and deeper sexual tentacles and bondage and enslavement to them that's what Christian people do with our sexual nature we don't deny them but we battle them we battle to not feed those thoughts to not revel in the sin of adultery in the heart not adultery adultery in the heart. Okay. okay. Got that now? Yeah? Okay. Got to hear it. Then you can argue with me later or ask me questions. That normal daily struggle of married men and women, single men and women, who are faithful in their sexuality to Jesus. That daily struggle of good, upright Christians. Same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted. That has, it's not in the same universe as actually having sexual contact with other persons to whom they are not married. So whatever the temporal causes of homosexual yearnings, whether they be genetic, family of origin issues, no strong, loving father in the home, a society that promotes homosexuality as good and normal like ancient Greece or more and more today or the lack of availability of women like in prison no matter what the temporal causes none of that is a reason to define sexual homosexual activity as good And okay to live out. So, but Joe, that's who I am. It's natural to me. I know. I know because the Bible tells me so. So come unto Jesus. be saved, all of you, heterosexually inclined or homosexually inclined, cling to Jesus, repent from sinful lifestyles, sinful acting out, trust in the Lord and fight sinning by not acting out your very natural desires that are sinful. That's the message of the Gospel. Repent from acting on your natural desires of laziness, of outbursts of anger, of a violent disposition, of your love of quarreling, of an addictive personality to alcohol, or of your inclinations of heterosexual activity outside of marriage or living out your very natural homosexual desires. Repent from those actions. You see, there is a much higher standard of morality than what our fallen natures scream. is natural. standard is God's standard. Flee from sexual immorality. Anywhere, come on. Okay, I'm going to spend the last 20 minutes. Get your clock out Bob. I'm going to spend the last 20 minutes of this three-week series making a few comments on how we are to deal with persons living homosexual lifestyles, neighbors, friends, family, or Christian persons who a huge struggle for them is same-sex attraction, inclinations, but they are living a celibate life. There I know two families in here who have a cousin who is gay and both died of AIDS. It's relevant. One has a sister living a lesbian lifestyle. One has a brother, a few, an uncle who is gay. One takes care over the years of a mother of a gay man living with his gay lover and goes to his house and has lunch and brings the old women there and loves them and has fellowship with them which she ought to do. So, number one, first realize that there are Many thousands of born again men and women who love Jesus and who have been called to salvation, and they wake up every day still with same sex attraction, knowing that it would be thin for them to practice those desires and for some unless there's a miracle of God or really good therapy in order to desire the opposite sex it feels really lonely because they realize marriage seems to be an impossibility in raising a family we're to know this reality and to know that the body of Christ is not this big organization that happens in programs people go to. The body of Christ is family, made up of families. And the body of Christ is to open their homes and their lives to such people who need families. Heterosexual or homosexual who are single. I'm going to spend a few minutes reading an article written by two persons together who both lived for many, many years homosexual lifestyles, one man, one woman. Rosaria, Butterfield, and Christopher. Jan were very involved in the quote-unquote gay political culture. They write, The Supreme Court of the United States of America has made gay marriage legal in all 50 states. And much of our country celebrates. The world with its rainbow flags waving proudly and plentifully was our world. We locked arms with our LGBT loved ones and friends and believed they were truly and honestly our family. Of choice. This is the world that we, Christopher and Rosaria, helped build. A world pursuing dignity and equality. The people you see celebrating the recent Supreme Court decision to redefine marriage and with marriage, personhood, would have been us not very long ago. In 1999, when Jesus Christ revealed His saving grace and love to each of us, we learned that our unbelief and the idolatrous sexual lust that flowed from it were no longer matters of personal choice. We accepted that following Jesus meant giving up everything. We understood that repentance meant fleeing from anything that embodied the temptations. We knew best the temptations that we knew best and that we loved most. But even prior to our conversion to Christ, God provided the love and care of Christians, people who became for us a new family new brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ, who knew and loved us before we were safe to love. Christians loved, accepted, included, and surrounded us with biblical truth while we were still sinners, thus modeling the Lord Himself. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit changed our hearts, we came to know this. The Gospel is costly and worth it. We affirm that God has ordained marriage to be the union of a husband and a wife, which Jesus Himself restated in Mark 10 and Matthew 19. But even though some in our culture believe marriage embodies the highest ideals of love, we disagree. Earthly marriage does not have a monopoly on love. God is love. The pinnacle of love is His love for us in Christ. Nothing is greater. In actuality, human marriage is a mystery and a reflection of a greater reality. The highest ideal of love is Christ's love for His bride, the church. In Ephesians 5 and Revelation 21, marriage is revealed to be analogous to Christ's redemption. The marriage consummation between the bride, redeemed sinners, and the groom, Christ, shows all redeemed people are married to Christ. Only in Christ can anyone experience the full definition of love and acceptance? As important as earthly marriage and family are, they are both fleetingly temporary. While Christ and the family of God, the church, are wondrously eternal and they close with this this is a defining moment in history we have a faithful opportunity to shine for the gospel will we point people to marriage as the highest ideal of love or will we point people whether married or single, to a life of costly discipleship pursuing the embodiment of love, Jesus Christ Himself. There are many thousands of single heterosexuals and there are many thousands of same-sex attracted persons who are born again and are in the body of Christ. They are our brothers and their sisters and we are to embrace them into our lives and families. Secondly, To those in the body of Christ who have homosexual desires were to say to them, it's okay to groan in anguish over the inward struggle. And you are to acknowledge and go on acknowledging the brokenness of a disordered sexuality. But please, please, please do not ever buy the lie of our culture and define your personhood by your sin-impacted disorder sexually. It's not who you are. And the foundation of your battle, we are to say, is the foundation of all of us. It is the forgiveness that comes through putting our trust in Jesus alone. And that Jesus has put to our account perfect human flawlessness and righteousness. That we are justified by faith. And from that foundation, battle the tears and the pain and the frustration and the desires and the groaning until Christ comes back. Battle from that relationship with Jesus. Do not battle in order to get a relationship with Jesus. And thirdly, how shall we at Sovereign Grace Fellowship respond to a man or a woman who comes in here and says to us as a church, I believe that church is for all of God's children. No exceptions. I am a gay woman or I'm a gay man, so would I be accepted with no judgment and fully embraced here as a member of Sovereign Grace Fellowship? How shall we answer such a question? Well, this is how I would answer it. It depends on what you mean by I'm a gay man or I'm a gay woman. And it depends on what you mean by accepted with no judgment and fully embraced as a member. You see, if you mean by I'm gay, you mean you struggle with Homosexual desires, same-sex attraction, but you're convinced that any sexual activity with another human being outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman is sinful, and therefore you as a professing Christian are to refrain from it? If that's what you mean, then yes. With open arms, we embrace you, our fellow sinner, being saved by Jesus. Welcome. Actually, do you see that heterosexual 34-year-old man over there? For years, he's been struggling with very strong heterosexual leanings. But he's also battling and has been battling successfully to remain celibate too, because he's not married. But, ma'am, sir, if you mean by I'm a gay man or I'm a lesbian, that you embrace a lifestyle of homosexual activity and you refuse to recognize it as sin and you want us here to agree with you over against Scripture, then no, we will not welcome you as a member. In other words, membership is crucial. Membership is the church offering to sinners the affirmation, Jesus saved you as far as we know. Yes, you're one of us walking with Christ. No, we will not affirm you as a Christian if you're in that state. But we will love you. We will preach to you week in and week out as you are welcome to our public Sunday morning services. And if... By the grace of God, your eyes are open to refrain from sinful sexual activity because of the light of the gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you say, I love him, I, he is my Savior, I have received him, I'm one of you. Then we will rejoice over you in welcome is one of us broken sinners being saved by grace you see ma'am you see sir it's the same answer to a heterosexual guy who comes in here and says I'm shacking up with my girlfriend I want to know will you accept me and embrace me with no judgment as I go on shacking up with my girlfriend no absolutely not not, Sir, ma'am, we welcome non-Christians here to our public services. We want you to come. We will treat you that way. As a matter of fact, my wife and I would love to have you over for dinner to hear your life story, to get to know you better. Let us hear it, Sovereign Grace... Let us know anything we can do for you. But a core part of our covenant of all those who are members here that we say, this is my covenant with this local body of Christ. For all of us who are struggling believers, is summarized this way. We will live our lives denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Which is just a synopsis way of encapsulating the New Testament. We're all over the place. It talks about the Christian life. Like 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. But like Rosaria and Christopher and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, sir, ma'am, you've got to get it. We desire the best for you. We care about your eternal welfare. But if we tamper with Scripture, then we will lose the Gospel, which is the only hope for us. Sinners. And that we will not do. But hear the words of Jesus. All who are heterosexually inclined or homosexually inclined, hear the word in the midst of a broken, futile world. Come unto me. All you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, my guidance upon you. For I, Jesus, say to you, my yoke, where I will direct you on how to live, it's easy. And my burden is light. And so Paul reflects on it. For I consider that the sufferings, and the battles, and the internal struggles, and the pain, and the late-night tears, and the crying, and the out-of-the-blue life-changing events in the ongoing battle of same-sex attraction or the pain of abandonment. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with a glory that will be revealed to us. Thank you, Father. Father, I can't help but go to one of my favorite verses, which is right there in Romans chapter 8. That You, You did not fail to give Your Son. You did not hold Him back. But You sent Your eternal image to become a human being for us and for our salvation. And therefore, how shall you not by Jesus, with Jesus and through everything He accomplishes give us everything we need to make it so whether life and death or demons or angels or same sex attraction or heterosexual attraction and the temptations of all of life nothing Father has you promised shall separate us from your love which comes to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.